Hey everyone, welcome to 41 Strong Podcast. My name is Chuck Tate. 41 Strong is a podcast that delivers encouraging scriptures and stories to help people like you hold on and stand strong. For more information about that, go to my website, chuckytate.com. That's chuckytate.com. Well, today is episode 132, and I'm so excited about my guest. I am on the phone with my friend Bill Vanderbush, all the way in Celebration, Florida. Bill has been pastoring for over 25 years. He is all over the globe doing ministry. He is not just a speaker, but when he is in town in Florida, he's a pastor of Community Presbyterian Church. He is also um, the author of The Forgotten Way, collaborated with best-selling author Ted Decker. Bill's brand new book is called Reckless Grace, and it is wrecking me. Bill, so good to have you on 41 Strong. Thanks for being here, man. It's an honor, Chuck. I'm so glad to visit with you. What a great time. Yeah, man. Well, we're really excited to have you at Rock Church this weekend, so I'm just going to give a plug about this for everyone that's watching live and listening live. Bill will be in all three services this weekend. That's Saturday night at 5 o'clock, Sunday morning at 9 and 11. And if you have never seen or heard Bill live, then you need to do whatever you can to get here. If And one of the things, Bill, that I've been sharing with our congregation the last few weeks is anyone who is struggling with their identity and just knowing who they are in Jesus and just, I, you know, I said, when we have Bill, it's like getting a, a great big hug from Jesus. So, <laughs> Oh, I love that, man. That's that's. That's great, man. I gotta make a t-shirt out of that. <laughs> well, let's um I mean I, I met you, it's been it's actually been a few years ago now. Um at, at in twenty fifteen I met you at Rewrite Conference when I won my, my publishing contract. Um I just remember uh, meeting you in the lobby and connecting with you because at, at that time you were Ted Decker's manager and um, Ted was a big part of Rewrite Conference and um, got that kind of a partner with Rewrite Conference. So I just know that we we connected right away and then we ended up having you at, at Rock Church um, two or three years ago. So we're excited to, to have you back and you've done a lot over the last um, two or three years. So why don't you just kind of introduce yourself, um, what you've been doing, what you do, and then after that, we'll get into your book. Man, I, I, it is an honor to be uh, to be with you today, Chuck, and, and I'm so looking forward to being back at Rock Church. It is one of the most unusually wonderful places I've been to. I feel like I feel like if Jesus was uh, was here in physical form on earth as he was 2,000 years ago, Rock Church would be a place you'd probably want to hang out just because you feel like a come as you are. Um, but But doesn't leave you as you come that's the thing uh, about it that that makes me so excited to be there because it is a house filled with people who are just just uh, at rest in their identity and you can see it in the countenance that on it's on people's faces you can see the authentic affection that they have for one another and so it's it's an honor for me to come and be a part of that that's actually that whole concept of of being in christ and being secure and solid in our identity and that place of rest in the father's heart has been kind of the driving the driving force uh in in my life my wife's life for the last at least decade or so and we just had this radical encounter with the grace of god some years ago and i was a pastor in texas um i felt like man you know it was hellfire and brimstone every weekend the harder you preached you know, on sin, the, the more that uh, people um, people uh, were, were, would change their behavior. If I could just make them scared enough of of sin, then they would, you know, run away the other direction. But what I was doing is actually 
drawing their attention to the very thing that I didn't want them to have their attention on. And so I started pulling people's attention back toward, uh, back off of the same consciousness concept and back into just an awareness of, of, of Jesus, you know, with the idea that we become what we behold. And so um, it's not that I went soft on sin, it's that I went real heavy on the love of God, the grace of God. And I started noticing that people's sin issues started falling off, started noticing the chains of bondage started dropping off of people, um, people that had tried forever to discipline themselves out of a sin lifestyle, uh, found that they were walking in radical freedom. And I couldn't, uh, I couldn't quite... Uh, wrap my head around what was going on until it became really clear that that there was something to this thing of grace that I hadn't uh, that I hadn't understood. People were scared. I, I realized people were scared of grace when, in fact, um, uh, fear has become the big motivator for humanity. When, in fact, you know, I think God's called us to be motivated by love. Second Corinthians five, Paul says, "From now on, we're compelled by love." And I realized the majority of my ministry, I wasn't compelled by love. I was compelled by fear. And so people that I ended up leading to Christ uh, would reflect that. And I, I wanted powerful believers. I wanted to be a powerful believer. But what I ended up with is believers that by and large were living their lives by discipline instead of passion. Hmm. And so they would walk in a sense powerless when they were, would encounter sin or sickness or disease or any kind of difficulty. The, the only recourse was, well, let's just pray and then just work really hard to try to discipline ourselves to do the right thing or do it the right way. And the problem is, is nobody could ever live up to that or measure up to that. So, uh, so I ended up writing this book called reckless grace and I wrote it actually many years ago, but I never released it because I wasn't hundred percent sure that I believed what I'd written. Uh, it was, it was so radical, uh, to me that, um, I, I felt like, okay, I can't write a concept that I haven't lived out over time and seen the effect of. So, uh, so I lived it. I lived it out uh, a year, two years, five years, and eight years later, I found somebody who the message had made such a radical impact in her life that she found herself um, healed in her body, restored in marriage, um, restored to family, just an incredible uh, uh, testimony of the goodness of God through, through this message of grace that had initially offended her six years earlier. And, um, and so I said, well, let's you and I collaborate together and we'll write this book. And so it's exactly what we did. And so every day I get email, um, I get messages on Facebook from people who picked it up and it's rocking their world, challenging them, making them angry, making them, uh, sob. I just had a, uh, a, a rock star that everybody would know if I said, if I said their name, um, just reach out and message me the other day on Instagram, send a personal message and say, I'm reading your book and I'm sobbing. And so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm finding this book uh, is getting into the hands of, of people that, that, that I would have never expected it to touch their lives, but it, but it is. And so I'm really, really, really honored by it. Man, well, I wish tomorrow was the weekend. <laughs> Man, I'm ready. I'm ready to, I'm ready to go. You know, I, I grew up in a culture that um, placed a lot more emphasis on following rules and um, dotting your I's and crossing your T's. And I think you hit it on the head. It was so hard for anyone to live up to that. The whole emphasis was what you can't do. 
instead of yeah. what we get to do for God. You know, what we get to live for Him, we get to serve Him, we get to preach the gospel, we get to share the good news, we get to love people like Jesus, we get to reach out to the sinners, we get to hang out with sinners so we can reach them. But, you know, I was raised the opposite of that. It was yeah. don't hang out with sinners and, um, or, you know, you're going to end up falling yourself and, and you don't do this. And I mean, I, we got known, the church was known for everything that it was against. And, you know, in some yes. ways, um, part of the church is still like that. So I think this book is so, so needed and so powerful to, it's going to liberate a lot of people. It already has, but it's, um, like I said, it's, it's, it's wrecking me. Well, I think of it like this, Chuck, you know, the, Jesus didn't die to make us religious. He died to make us free. And and so the Holy Spirit's empowering grace in our life is is it teaches, according to Titus 2.11, teaches us how to manage our freedom. And the problem is, is when we don't ever learn how to manage our freedom, uh, then then we find ourselves having limited options. You know, when, when a person in, in our culture and society can't manage their freedom, then they end up in, in a prison where they have very few options. And in in light of limited options, most people can do okay. You know, when, when you have no choices to make but good ones, you can do just fine in that environment. And then once you've done your time, then a person gets out of prison, then they think to themselves, it's such a common thing. People think to themselves, well, I, I need to get into an environment where people tell me what's right, what's wrong, what I can do and what I can't do. I, I don't know how to manage my freedom myself, so I need somebody externally to control me. And so they'll find their way into the next best thing to prison, which is often church. And and so in church, we we essentially create boundaries for people. We tell them this is right, this is wrong. You do this, you don't do that. And so rather than teach people how to manage their freedom, we just create an entire prison system um, where we limit their options in order to keep them safe. You know, and and I had this realization one day that, you know, if anybody listening to this this show today decides they want to go out and and commit some crazy egregious sin, I'm pretty sure either Jesus or an angel is going to show up and smack you on the hand and say, stop that. And it doesn't mean that he's given us permission to do it, but he's given us freedom to. Hmm. There's a big difference between freedom and permission. He's not blessing that choice, but he's given us the freedom to do it. And I think oftentimes we as Christians, we want to step in and take away people's freedom to make choices so that they never actually learn about the power of the redemptive grace of God. There's something about there's something about discovering grace and redemption that unveils the father's love so deeply that you begin to realize that in that place of love, you have everything you've ever needed. And, and all of your longings are satisfied. And the greatest desire for pleasure that we've ever been built, had built into our system is ultimately fulfilled within his presence and, and in, the, in the embrace of the Father's arms. And there's something about grace that opens and awakens our eyes to be able to see the reality of that. So to, when I preach grace, I'm preaching about an encounter with the living God. And uh, that's that's the thing that it is bringing people into uh, a place of healing and wholeness and restoration. And uh, people get nervous about grace. And that just to me, I find that all, all kinds of fun. Yeah. You know, when you start when you start making people nervous with good news, you realize they've been so conditioned with bad news for so long. They don't know what to do. And so uh, I, to me, the gospel is good news all over again. And it just gets gooder and gooder all the time.
Amen. Amen. I love that you said that grace is an encounter with a living God. One of the things that I, I've shared the last couple of weeks um, with, our, with our church is grace is not only an it, but grace is a who. And that's, you know, that's not Dr. Seuss, man. That's grace is Jesus. So, <laughs> um, you know, and when, when we get a hold of that, then, um, then we realize how important forgiveness is. We realize how important it is to love our enemies. And you do such an excellent job of C- communicating the importance of, of both of those in, in your book. Um, one of the things that um, that you said is nobody can be your enemy without your permission. Mm. And um, man, and, and you, you you start talking, and I I, w- I was so so convicting. You know, you can be a living invitation for your enemy to realize his true in- identity. I'm like, oh my gosh, man, am I living in such a way that's going to help my enemy realize? his or her true identity. Do you, you want to unpack that a little bit? I mean, yeah, you know, it, it, it comes from, it comes from the 20, the line of the 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And I'm thinking, you know, wait, my enemy's there. If he's an enemy, he wants to harm me, hurt me, kill me, whatever. You know, I'm thinking, you know, God, you're, you're supposed to be protecting me from my enemy. Why are you cooking dinner here? And I realized that, you know, both in the old and the new covenant, he's he's beginning to reinforce a level of goodness that we still have a hard time with. For example, we we know that Jesus' command to us is to love our enemies, but for some strange reason, we have it in our minds that he's doing something different with his. Hmm. You know, we, so even if you make yourself an enemy of God, he's already told us in a in a commission, he's not going to commission us to do something that he himself is unwilling to do. But in the commission to us to reflect his love by loving our enemies, he, he's, he's a sen- in a sense unveiling his heart, a heart that was put on display on the cross when you know, Jesus hanging there in front of the people that are killing him. You know, you're talking about God in the hands of angry sinners, not sinners in the hands of an angry God. You're talking about God in the hands of angry sinners looking at the people responsible for him in pain, bleeding, and dying. And he looks at them and says, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And you begin to realize the love like that is is the kind of love that refuses to allow an enemy to be an enemy, and and I I just I'm I'm consistently overwhelmed by that level of love. If you don't if you don't believe in the love and the grace of Christ, then you would have to look at the crucifixion and go, okay, well it makes no sense. The resurrection, if it wasn't for the love and the grace, the radical grace of Christ to embrace his enemies. The resurrection would have been a story of revenge, not a story of reconciled union. And so, uh, I mean, that that would have been the time to drop the hammer on humanity as at the resurrection. I mean, I I would have gone to the people that crucified me. I don't know about anybody else, but that's what I would have done. Wow. And, uh, you know, I would have gone to the people that crucified me, at least knocked on the door and freaked them out, you know. But Jesus doesn't want want to do that. He has no interest in that. He just wants to go and be with the people who want to be with him. Oh man, and, uh, and 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 that to me just shows the heart of a good father. He said, "I don't only really do what I see the father do, and say what I hear the father say." So when he's hanging on the cross saying, "Father, forgive them," he's putting the father's heart on display. He's not appealing to a reluctant God to forgive humanity that he's waiting, just waiting to drop the hammer on. He's showing us what the father's actually like. You know, in two thousand years later, we're still struggling in a culture that when they think of the church, they think of judgment rather than love. So we've done a real good job of making him famous for judgment when he's supposed to be famous for love. And I want to change that. Man, wow. That's so, 
That's so good. And when you said this, when you walk in your true identity in Christ, you won't be able to see people as enemies, but as broken beings who desperately need to encounter the God of grace. I tell you what, if, if the church, and, and, and I'm going to include myself in that, if I can get a hold of that and the church can get a, get a hold of that, we can change the world. We can reach the world because then the world is going to know about the love of Jesus. I mean, he's the one who said the world will know we are Christians by our love and by, for our, by our love for each other. But if we're always fighting and, and you know, I, um, I was in a drive-thru. Just, it's been a couple months now, a few months ago. And um, a woman that used to attend our church was working the window. And I just said, hey, how are you? We know we miss you. And she's like, oh, yeah. And I, 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 need, I need to be there. But I'm going to be honest, my, my husband, she, he, just, he doesn't really want to go because he says the church is full of hypocrites. And I just looked at her and said, he's right. <laughs> come join us. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus came for the hypocrites. So come hang out with us. We'd love to see him. <laughs> I love that. Man. Well, let's, let's talk about... Um, you know, extending and receiving grace. Um, another thing, I mean, we only have like four minutes left. I, I mean, we need to do like um, a whole podcast series with you. But, <laughs> um, you know, you said in the in the book, you cannot give away what you have first not received. You must receive grace as a gift before you can give it. So I guess the questions I was going to ask you, um, twofold. One, why do people struggle receiving grace? And then, of course, why do they struggle extending grace? Yeah, wow, that's going to take a lot more than four yeah. minutes. To yeah. so let, me, let, me, let, me let me see if I can unpack this down in about 90 seconds or less. Um, I, I think it has to do with the fact that we, we, we have a hard time believing that we're worthy. We really hold on tight to our sin nature. Our sin nature becomes the security blanket of religion, and it becomes the, the consciousness by which we, we figure that, well, sin, I have no, I, it's my excuse. It's my excuse for the, for the things that I do, for the tendencies that I have. And so one of the first things that I, tell, I like to tell people is you got to come to grips with this, that Jesus nailed your sin nature to the cross. You may have a sin um, habit, you may have a sin desire, you may have a propensity towards sin, but you don't have a sin nature anymore. Now that's a that's a difficult concept for people to grasp because of the fact that maybe they have like certain desires or whatever. You, of course, you may have developed muscle memory over time through repetition, and so you've developed certain certain desires and things like that. It doesn't mean it's your nature. It means that you have the capacity to sin. You have the ability to sin, but that's not your nature to do it anymore. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things passed away and all things become new. So how new is new? Well, you know, uh, I think of it like this. People say, well, of course I have a sin nature because I want to sin or because I can still choose to sin. Well, I say, well, was, were Adam and Eve born with a sin nature? No, they were not created with a sin nature because they were called very good. Everything God created was very good. But he gave them two things that were really important. He gave them the capacity to choose and the capacity to believe a lie. And those two things, the capacity to make a choice and the capacity to believe a lie, empower every person to be able to sin or to not sin. And so just because uh, Adam and Eve could sin doesn't prove that they had a sin nature. Just in the same way, just the, any, just the same way, um, uh, we just because we can sin or even want to doesn't prove that we have a sin nature. But if we believe that we do, then that will be the experience that we empower. So I say it like this, that as long as you think, people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. And say, no, actually you're a saint recovering from an addiction to sin. But as long as you think all you are is a sinner saved by grace, you'll spend your whole life sinning by faith. 
because faith is an exercise in belief. And when you believe that you are something that you're not, you'll return to that false identity as a reference point for how to do life. But when I realized, wait, I am the righteousness of God in Christ, then I began to rest in the grace of God to empower my choices and my desires and my new identity. And in that, I find authentic righteousness, peace, and joy. Or the kingdom of God starts manifesting in my life. It's a place of true rest. It's true peace. It's authentic. Uh, that's that's the fruits, the byproduct of of the grace of God. Man, so wow. I'll unpackage that a ton at your church. <laughs> yeah, so. man, that's so good because you know I have. Um, um, man, one of the things that I've been kicking around uh, is, is writing an article about um, a. I'm sure you've probably seen people wear T-shirts that say I'm a Christian, but I cuss a little. And I'm like, you know, there's a difference between being vulnerable and identifying as a sinner. You know, that's that that's that mindset that you're talking about. You know, I just I, I just love the way that that you laid that out, man. Well, we only have like like less than a minute left here, so um, why don't you tell people real quick how they can connect with you, how they can follow you, your your website, all that information information. They can jump on the billvanderbush.com, just like it's spelled the like, like it sounds b i l l v a n d e r b u s h dot com. And there's a ton of resources on there, a lot of resources on YouTube. But yeah, I encourage you to jump on the website and um, pick up some resources there, some free videos and things you can watch, download. And, and uh, you can go to recklessgracebook.com, uh, recklessgracebook.com or amazon.com to pick up the book Reckless Grace. It's a super accessible read. Any Anybody you know can, can get a lot out of it. And we just wanted to make it simple. We just, I, I told my co-author, let's put the cookie jar on the bottom shelf with it. So billvanderbush.com, recklessgracebook.com. And uh, yeah, we just want to make this message available to everybody. So. Excellent. Well, you're going to have copies this weekend when you're at the church? I will. I'll have quite a few with me, so don't be there. All right, guys. There you have it. My guest has been Bill Vanderbush. Bill, thanks for taking time. We look forward to seeing you this weekend at Rock Church in all three services, Saturday night at 5 o'clock, Sunday morning, 9 and 11. And for those that are watching live, and if you just, um, in the comment thread right now, tell me why you would like to have a copy of the book, Reckless Grace, and I'm going to pick somebody to give a copy to when this podcast is over. I will read through those comments and notify um, the winner of a copy of Bill's brand new book, Reckless Grace. All right. Well, our producer is Mike Sable. My name is Chuck Tate. I look forward to seeing you next time on 41 Strong. One last time. Bill, thank you so much. Thank you, Chuck. I look forward to being with you this weekend. Likewise. All right, guys. Thanks for watching. Bye-bye. PeoriaLife.com.